We're walking through this series on Advent, this time of Advent, and Advent on the church calendar is the five weeks before Christmas. And what we are doing during this time is we're spending time uh, looking at the snapshots of the kingdom of God that Jesus gives us in the parables. If you know your scripture, you know that there are a lot of sayings of Jesus or stories of Jesus that start with the phrase, the kingdom of God is like. And he tells stories, parables is what we call them, that give a little glimpse, a snapshot, as it were, of what God's kingdom looks like, how he is at work, the sort of activity that he is involved in. And as we think about this Christmas season, our desire is to capture those snapshots. A lot of you are going to be taking pictures right? We've done in the last couple of days. We'll be doing so in the next several. And some of you will be getting plenty of pictures to put up on your refrigerator or pantry door with Christmas cards. We want to take some pictures, some snapshots of the kingdom of God. Be reminded of what Christ is teaching us about his kingdom. And as we would with these, the pictures that we would put in a picture frame, hold that as a memory. A memory that we live into, a memory that we share, a memory that we hold dear as we live into the kingdom of God. This morning's reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like like a tiny mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kristen and I have owned four houses over the course of our marriage. In three of those houses, we've had the same problem. We've owned two houses in Visalia, California, a house in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and now one house here in Redlands, And um, some of you know that our house right now is for sale. Um, You're welcome to purchase it for full price, of course. It's over in University Grove. Uh, We're actually trying to move on to this side of town. But three of those houses, the two houses in Visalia, the house here in Redlands, we have had a serious problem. Bermuda grass. Does anyone know how evil Bermuda grass is? 
Bermuda grass is an evil thing. It is a sign of the total depravity of all of creation. It is a sign that God has not yet returned in Jesus Christ to redeem all things. Bermuda grass is an evil thing. Uh, What happens in our houses that we've had Bermuda grass is there will be a spot And unfortunately, in the house here in Redlands, that spot is not a spot in my yard. It's a spot in two of my neighbor's yards where Bermuda grass has been allowed to grow. And of course, it's in another person's yard, so I can't like do anything to it. It's not like I can go over there and pour diesel fuel on it and burn it or anything as much as I might long to do. I I can't do any of those things because it's in my neighbor's yard, but my neighbor's yard then comes and introduces itself to mine and takes over through the Bermuda grass. If you've ever seen Bermuda grass, it's this long, tendrilled thing that just keeps going out and crawls these roots that are not roots underground, roots over the ground, and they grab onto the next part of grass and the next part of grass. If you've ever come to our house um, and you've seen Kristen in the front lawn on her hands and knees pulling it out, it's because she hates it just as much as I've, I do. I've gone and I've purchased, which is a big racket, by the way, those chemicals that are supposed to kill Bermuda grass. They don't kill Bermuda Bermuda grass. It's a big lie so that some guy can enjoy Thanksgiving in Bermuda. That's what I'm doing. I'm paying for him to go to Bermuda. I'm not killing Bermuda grass. It won't die. It just comes and it takes over. It takes over your lawn and at some point you just give up. How many of you have given up on Bermuda grass? Some of you folks have just said, it's done. I, I, I'm, it's over. I'm not, I'm not going to fight it anymore. I hate this stuff. But it's never going to stop. Jesus is talking to the people in Israel about something very similar to Bermuda grass. He's talking about, he's giving him two images in this parable. He's giving him this image of a mustard seed, and then he's giving him the image of yeast. And in these images, Christ is trying to teach his people something about the kingdom, something about the kingdom that never ends. And what's important for us to understand this morning is that Christ is not just teaching the Jews and us about what the kingdom is and how it grows. He's teaching us about how the kingdom is in us. Now, as Jesus is teaching the Jews, these are people who are hearing Jesus tell the story, but they're living in a world in which they believe and hope that God's kingdom, the kingdom that has long been promised all the way back in Genesis 3, right after the curse, the kingdom is already promised. Uh, This this kingdom that's promised, that it's going to come, but it's going to come in a certain way. It's going to come instantaneously and and in some of the images, violently. And there has every reason for the Jews to believe that because if they know the stories, the stories of the Old Testament, God has done that, hasn't he? He's done it over and over and over again in the Old Testament. He's shown up in power and in might. Look at, look at the story of Jericho when the people come into the promised land. What happens? They walk around a city for seven days. And then finally in the seventh day, they blow their trumpets and they shout with a loud voice. And what happens? The walls fall down. 
The city is laid, laid waste by them and God has shown up with his power. Or the story of Esther. Esther, this queen who had been given a place and a voice in order for such a time as this to save God's people from the evil of Haman. And God showed up and in the space of a couple weeks, all of a sudden, the Jews get a specific place and a purpose and a position of power in the kingdom because God has shown up in this instantaneous and powerful way. So the Jews hearing this parable story of Jesus are thinking, that's the kind of God he is. In the story, Christ is countering that. In fact, he's making it pretty clear that idea of God coming from outside in and changing the world around you is changed in me. Now you're going to have to understand God showing up in a very different way. When Christ comes, things change now through the Holy Spirit. God is present in the world, how? In his people. But it takes a good amount of time to live into that. These Jews who are hearing this story, they're not yet understanding it. Why? Because, oh, they got some things that are going to have to happen. Christ is going to have to be crucified and he rose from the dead. He's going to have to go through the time after the resurrection of teaching the disciples and preparing them for what? The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. All these things have not yet happened. So the people are not yet living into that reality that the kingdom of God is coming through them. They have a lot to learn. And so do we. Because oftentimes, we live in that same world as the Jews, who think that the kingdom of God should come instantaneously, should come quickly, should come powerfully. And we've heard the stories. We know that they're there, maybe even in our own lives, of God already doing that. We Maybe we've experienced an instantaneous conversion. We talk about being born again in Christ. There's some of you that have stories of that happening in this big thing, this activity, this you listening to a radio station or a TV show or maybe going to a conference or worship experience that by its very nature and the message that you heard transformed you radically and instantly. And that night or that day, you were a new person. You were made new. So we think of those stories and hope and long for them in people around us, right? How many of you, how many of us have people in our lives that we long, God, change them right now. Come, Lord Jesus, transform them through the Holy Spirit right now. Make them new right now. Change them right now. We, we have those people, don't we? We long to see the addicts in our lives, the broken people in our lives, those who are hurting, and, and deeply longing for something more, we long that Jesus Christ would show up and bam, almost this, this holy zapping. Bam, you're made new. Turn into a frog. Change, right? Want that sort of image in people's lives. But Christ is teaching us, eh, it's not how it goes. In me, it's different. This parable of the mustard seed and the yeast points us to the reality 
that the kingdom of God is gentle. You would never walk past a place where a mustard seed is going and growing and call the police because of the violence of its growth. You would never be concerned about the violence and how radical yeast is changing dough into risen dough. It's, it's not, it's gentle. It's one cell at a time as the yeast changes the next sugar cell, changes the next cell, the next cell, the next cell. It's a mustard seed slowly in the rocks around it, breaking through, shattering rock just by its constant regular pressure and growing out and growing up. It's a gentle transformation, but it is constant. It is small, but the process is completely taking over what is around it. A mustard plant, if you've ever seen one, they're huge. You look into a field where mustard has grown, and I'll tell you, those farmers, they want to try to fight it because it'll take over everything. They can't plant anything in those fields, or at least they're going to have to avoid them as they drive. It takes over. You can't put a little bit of yeast into dough and think it's not going to affect the whole batch. It will, because that's the nature of yeast. It changes everything around it. But these things require, in our understanding, patience and faith. Sort of to go down the road of this image. How many of you remember, I don't even remember how long it was, uh, how long ago it was, maybe 20, 25, 30 years ago. How many of you remember Tiananmen Square? Tiananmen Square, for those of you who don't remember or maybe even weren't alive at the time, Tiananmen Square is a square in China where... Um, in the, I want to say it was the late 80s or early 90s. Some of you who can jump on Google will correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but there was a student demonstration that started um, and suddenly there were 100,000, over a million people who showed up at Tiananmen Square. Students from all over China coming and protesting the lack of human rights in China, the lack of freedom of expression, freedom of anything in China, the ways that um, the Chinese people were treated by authorities. And they were protesting and saying, change has to come. Change, this country needs to be made new. And it was a powerful time. If you were alive during those times, I remember those news reports. I remember watching them with my parents and my parents really believing, boy, something's going to change here. This is going to be a radical transformation in China. It's going to be a totally different country now. But if you know the story, you, will, you know what happened next. It's that famous image of the man standing in front of the line of tanks, Right? This man who tried to stop what the government did next. The government sent all foreign journalists out of China. Kicked them all out. You got to leave because they didn't want people covering what happened next. There was a systematic cleaning out murder violence in Tiananmen Square to get these students arrested and out of where they were. And if you look at the trajectory of China 
Tiananmen Square, it altered some things, but in terms of the power that it was thought to have at the time, it didn't change that much. Human rights were still ignored in many places. Personal freedoms are still very, very limited. There are a lot of things that didn't change except for the death of a whole lot of student protesters. I'll contrast that to the story of the Chinese church. If you don't know that story, you probably don't because it's not one that's often told. About 30 to 40 years ago, they estimated that within limited China, China that had limitations on religion, China that wouldn't allow the freedom of expression or Christians to uh, uh, gather and congregate under communist law, there were between maybe 50 and uh, uh, at most uh, 100,000 or uh, no, sorry, between ten and fifty thousand Christians, very small group, very quiet group, very secretive group, because you could be arrested and thrown in jail for expressing your faith. And China has been a place that has been very anti-Christian. In fact, uh, if you uh, remember seeing this report from about, I think it was about six, eight months ago, there's a, a city in China that, at least historically has been a place where Christianity has been strong. It's a, uh, a town that has, has had historically about a hundred crosses. It was a place where missionaries came and they established churches. And there were buildings with a hundred crosses on them and the Chinese government said no. And they took down all those crosses. Over a hundred crosses were removed from buildings in one week and burned in um, government, in government uh, fortifications or, or, or buildings. Well, what you don't know is that Chinese church is alive and well. And just so you know, numerically, the Chinese church has already, or will this year, surpass the size of the American church easily with its numbers. There will be, within a year, over 175, up to 200,000 Chinese Christians meeting regularly, quietly, secretly, but meeting regularly because of the transformation of Christ in their lives. And the thing is, is that their life as a church and as believers is changing the world around them. In places where the church has been active, there have been a recognition in some places of human rights that weren't there before. There have been a relaxation of freedoms because these people, these Christians, are people of peace. People of mutual caring and caring for the brother and sister beside them. Of making sure that others have food. There is transformation that is happening. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at work. For us to go back into the text and see these images of seed, a mustard seed, of yeast that comes and transforms, it helps us understand not only how the Chinese church grows, but how the church, the kingdom grows through us. I want you to think very quickly about um, yeast with me. If you take a teaspoon of yeast... And put it into a bowl that has 10 pounds of flour, water, and sugar. And you pour that yeast in and stir it around. Is it going to instantly change? 
It's going to take some time. Usually what you have to do is you cover it with a, uh, a clean cloth and maybe you stick it in someplace warm. But when you go back to that bowl and you pick it up to see how much it has risen, what's one thing you notice about that bowl? It's warm. Because the action of the yeast has warmed. It's an energy. It's an activity that warms what is around us. As the yeast ferments the dough, it brings warmth. It brings the effect of the warmth of its transformation to the whole bowl. And it changes everything. And all that dough has risen. Think about it for a mustard seed. Now imagine, and mustard seeds are very hardy seeds. If you plant them even a crag in a crag in a rock with just a little bit of dirt in it, they will slowly but surely push out into that dirt. And if they come into contact with that rock, Sometimes they grow around it, but sometimes they grow into it. And slowly, that one little root pushes, 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 pushes. And over days, weeks, even months, begins to crack and break up that rock. The yeast of God is the warmth of love to those around it that transforms the whole batch, that transforms everything that comes in contact with that yeast. And the, the, the power of God in the constant movement breaks down barriers in its constancy as ones are patient, waiting for God to take us into places that are hard to get to, and yet God makes a way for a crack to form. And suddenly, there's a place for God's love to show up. This image is the sort of image that Christ is giving to the Jews and giving to us about how the kingdom works. He's telling his people to look for and expect the kingdom, but in unexpected and individual ways. A yeast molecule affects the next yeast molecule. Doesn't affect the whole bowl at once. It grabs the next one, it changes it. Grabs the next one, changes it. A mustard seed takes months to grow. But slowly but surely, it does. And you can think that a mustard seed should grow here, or should grow there, and all of a sudden you look in that rock craggy corner, and there it is, in an unexpected place in an unexpected way. The huge movement of God is happening and will happen. Remember, this is before the church is established through the disciples. But it grows through each individual believer, rising and sprouting where God has put them. Revival is happening. God is teaching these people as they prepare to do the work of the church in the world around them. He is preparing them for the work of an individual follower of Jesus Christ who has been transformed by the grace and love of Jesus to go to the next person and affect the next cell and affect the next cell. And if you remember that old commercial for shampoo and they tell two friends and they tell two friends and so on and so on. The change happens, but individually, this is not the big picture. That big picture is God's big picture. Our picture here is one around us, one in our world, one with the relationships that God has given to us, each uniquely and individually, places where we bring the, the warmth and the power of Christ's love. 
when we look at our world with this kingdom perspective, it challenges us to see relationships differently. Christ has been a seed and yeast to you. Now go and bring that into the relationships around you. Your workplace, your classroom, your family, your cul-de-sac, wherever it is that God has given to you to be that yeast and that seed, you go. You go to that neighbor and you share the warmth of God's love. And here's the thing. Even as I'm saying this, there's some of you who have a picture in your mind of who that is, of what that person is that God has called you to go to be yeast and a seed to. You, you sort of have that image in your head. And I want to assure you, for some of you that may happen, and I want to for, assure you that for some of you, it's going to be this person over here that you've completely given up on. It's going to be this person here who you have said, they're too far gone. They're a Laker fan. There is no hope for them. You're going to think it's over here in this place that God is going to, or over there in that place where God is going to work through you. But it's over here. It's in this spot. It's unexpected. It's where you and I are not looking. As we allow Christ to shine through us, revival happens not only outside of us, but in us. Talk to anybody who's been a part of the sorts of seeds and yeast ministries that we have here at the river. Ministry to Lagonia School. Ministry through MCCA. Ministry through FCA. Ministry through lots, lots of different experiences where we go out and we are a seed and we are yeast in those contexts. And those people will tell you the stories of what God has done out there. As Ben shared this morning, lots of kids committing their lives to Jesus, but if you ask him, Ben will also tell you, others will also tell you that it has changed them. You can't go to Lagonia School and care about kids for a couple hours a week without being transformed yourself. You can't go to Mexico and be a part of the lives of a bunch of children down there sharing food and love with them and not be changed yourself. You can't be changed in any, you can't stay the same in any context where God has called you to be yeast or a seed. Because as you grow, as yeast grows, as a seed grows, it changes. It becomes a shoot. Then it becomes a bush. And then it becomes a shrub. And then it becomes a tree. It changes. Christ's love shown out through us changes us. And that's the revival. That's the revival. The revival is not this big picture revival that changes the whole world in a moment or a month or even a year. It is a revival that transforms us and then our coworker and then our, our, our uncle and then, and then our neighbor and then the coach of our kid's team or the student who sits next to us in class and that person grows and the next person grows. That's the revival. That's the change. That's the transformation. And this next line is so very, very important that I want you to read it with me. Garrett, let's make sure it's up. Let's read this together. And the beautiful part is it will never, ever stop. Christ's kingdom never ends. How many of you believe that? Can I get an amen? 
Here's the thing. In the world that we live in, we see the evil and the brokenness of a lot of stuff. We have the stories of Beirut, the Russian airliner in Egypt, what's going on in the Ukraine, the Paris attacks, Planned Parenthood attack on Friday. All those evil, horrible, disgusting signs of sin and brokenness in this world. And we see those things and we can certainly have fear. Well, let me tell you this. Let me be clear about it. Every nation in this world could become a Muslim nation. Every person that you and I know around us in the world who doesn't know Jesus could be a a person who persecutes Christians. There could be no space or place in our world left where we see the light and the love of Jesus Christ. There, all of those things could happen. The worst of the worst, the, the worst possible scenario could occur in the world around you. And I would not stop believing for a moment that the kingdom of God is at hand. For this reason, somewhere, in some place, somehow, God drops a little bit of yeast. God plants a little little bitty seed. And in that place or in this place, an unexpected backwoods town, a country that nobody's ever heard of and can't speak the language, A context in which no one would ever suspect it. That yeast begins to grow. The seed begins to push out roots. And the kingdom of God shows up. The kingdom of God will never, ever, ever stop. How many of you are followers of Jesus Christ? God be praised. Guess what? You are are the Bermuda grass of the world. You are the irritating thing that Satan and sin cannot stop from growing and invading places and spaces that he doesn't want you to be. You, as the Bermuda grass in the world, can be dealt with, burned, pulled out, frustrated, broken, mowed over, beaten up, crushed even to the point of death. And the kingdom of God will come back again. Because just in the same way that I can't kill Bermuda grass, no matter how hard I try, the kingdom of God will never, ever, ever end. People of the river, you have a place where God has called you to go and as holy as I can make it, invade and take over. I don't mean that in a violent way. I mean your invasion comes with the love and the grace and the warmth of Jesus Christ. And as you come with that holy invasion and Christ moves in you, 
There will be a revival. Maybe it's a revival in here or maybe it's a revival out there. Maybe it's a revival that comes and it does take over the whole world. It's one of those big picture changes. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's the little one. But my prayer is that you and I are willing to walk down the, the road of being yeast or a seed and engaging in God's gently expansive kingdom that will never, ever end. Would you pray with me? Living God, hope of the world in Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is in us and through us. Through your Holy Spirit, you have equipped us to be yeast and a seed in our world. You've called us to, with the invading love and grace of Jesus Christ, to see the world around us affected, transformed, and even, Lord, taken over by your kingdom. That's work that you do in us. And, Lord, there's someone in here who you're doing that work in them right now. You are calling them to allow you to take over. You are invading their life with a holy and loving invasion. And Father, that person or those people, I pray that, Lord, you never stop until you do take them over in the name of Jesus. Lord, if those people are here, I pray that they just are overwhelmed with your love. They know that although it is hard, although it is uncomfortable to give up what is before and to move towards what is ahead, to die to what was and to be alive to what can be in Jesus Christ, even though that that's hard, I pray that, Lord, you do that in them in a way that exposes them to your love and then a way, Lord, that they can share that with the world around us. I pray that for all of us. Lord, invade us with your love. And then, Lord, use us in your way, in your time, patience and faith to change our world and grow your kingdom in us. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus. Amen.